0: Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is your
1: host, of course, Mike Abadir. Today is Thursday, November 10th, 2022. And this year is just flying and zipping along very quickly. We've only got, what, maybe about seven weeks left in 2022. And then we see Sayonara usher in 2023. But, you know, there's a lot still to play out in the world of sports. And I want to start today... By giving a, a heartfelt congratulations to my man Dusty Baker, he is a se- fellow Central Valley guy. He's from Sac Town, and this guy has paid his dues over and over and over again. He's now won a World Series as a player, won a World Series as a manager. He's got over two thousand managerial wins at the major league level. He's won division titles with five different teams. He's taken multiple teams to the World Series. And he now has that long sought after championship ring. The Astros have been a team pop that we've both really marveled at. They're so well-rounded. They're a complete ball club. I couldn't be any more happy for Dusty Baker and the Houston Astros. I really think they've really validated themselves from the scandal that happened you know, uh, five years ago now. What's, what say you, Pop?
2: Well, you know, Pop, props to Dusty Baker. Big moment for him. Much deserved, you know what I mean? And um, I never felt like the Astros had to validate anything. I think that they always were a very, you know, special situation. They they changed the MLB. It, it, they didn't change the MLB well before they started winning 100 games a season, man. They were the ones that said that this is the way that you got to pay these players moving forward. You might have to go ahead and overpay some minor leaguers um, so then you know that you got their commitment when they get up here. And the Astros were the ones who kind of led the way in a sense. They took the money ball angle and took it to the next level. And I think they did everything that the A's wanted to do with Billy Bean years ago, but they did it the right way instead of doing it the backwards way because Billy Bean had to be a little cheap because the way that his uh, salary cap worked. But with Houston, they had an owner who wasn't who was willing to pay some money, but they went went about it in a different form, a different shape, and they were able to develop really good players, and they were able to be fortunate enough to get top five picks for a good decade or so as well too, and they actually were able to get something out of those guys. So it's a it's it's a it's a great process when it comes down to the Astros and everything like that, and I really truly do feel like when they got Dusty Baker, they were able to. Kind of get that 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 bad taste off of him because he came in there like a a good old uncle in a sense or somebody he was a good he was a protector for him you know what I mean he wasn't no manager that came in and said well you know I've got the job and no first day he knew he he looked straight on to that scandal and he and he took and he went on and he said some some very strong uh words and things like that. And that team moved forward from that point on. And um, I think that they're a special group. And I think that um, is this a dynasty or was this the last go around as well, too? Because you know how baseball is. You know, you w- when you have your greatest moment, it usually winds up the next season you regress. But I don't really see anybody anything regressing too much in Houston. And that place has become very attractive for any top free agent that's thinking about, you know, winning so that's my my two cents on it
1: absolutely you make so many good points pop i want to address that about dusty baker he, he walked into a very difficult situation i like how you called him kind of came in kind of like a loving uncle somebody that's got some wisdom and guidance be able to bring to the table in a different spot in a difficult spot i think he also dispelled some previously maybe misguided notions about him because he had a reputation for being a guy that was, you know, a player's manager that always sided with the vets and that he was going to let the vets be able to play out of their slumps, hit themselves out of their slumps or pitch their way out of it. And that he wasn't very open to opportunities for the younger players of the rookies. Well, he dispelled that big time, right? Because the league championship MVP, World Series MVP was none other than a rookie. He had Jeremy Pena, and I think they developed him perfectly. He's going to be a star for the future. But like you said, I think this has the makings of a dynasty pop because they've got a lot of players that are not over the hill yet. They got a lot of players who are just right in the middle or even the early part of their careers. They haven't peaked or plateaued yet. You know, when you're talking about guys like Tucker and Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, Pena that we mentioned. Really, there's only maybe like two guys that are on the other side of their peaks, uh, which is age-wise, which is Jose Altuve and Justin Verlander. The thing about Justin Ver- Verlander, though, is he's ageless. So even though he's on the the wrong side of the age spectrum, if we're talking about peaking, well, he just had his best season ever. If you can believe that, even though he's a multi Cy Young award winner and He's done everything you could imagine in this game, but he's like a fine wine, just keeps getting better. Verlander reminds me of, you know, like baseball's version of like a like a Brady or, you know, uh, one of these guys that's able to play into his late years and still perform at a very high level. So I could talk about the Astros all day because I really have a great appreciation for how well-balanced they were, but... We got to keep things moving, of course, and uh, I guess to to close up on, on that chapter really quickly, I think they are the early favorites for 2023. I don't know. Do you see anybody else? I mean, the Dodgers are obviously always going to be kind of in that top two, three betting favorites, but I think that the Astros are going to be a force next year. If there's a regression, Pop, I don't think it's going to be dramatic. I think it's going to be within that, like, 5% variance. But I still see them as getting back there and doing their thing.
2: Well, as long as the AL West stays as bad as it does, uh, uh exception Seattle, then, yeah, they probably are going to be able to run the table again. But the Rangers are, are setting themselves up to be a good team again. And the A's are rebuilding it's going to take a while and you know the angels are always going to want to be in the mix you know they're always going to think they're always going to figure out a way to bring in a big name during the winter meetings but i totally do feel that it's i just say this because baseball is tough you know what i mean mike and uh verlander is already opted out of his deal as is so i'm saying i think that he's had to tell like to be honest which i think he's headed to the dodgers and um, I think that would be huge for the Dodgers, and I think that Aaron Judge is going to be uh, a very is going to be very sought after by the Dodgers as well too. So the Dodgers find themselves in a good position in my opinion uh, moving forward. But I wouldn't make them the fa- I, I I think they're not going to favor them this year to win the uh, World Series. Or the NL, they won't. They'll be there in the top two or three, but I think they're going to want to uh, get get with the Phillies a little bit this year. You know what I mean? And I think the Padres are going to get a little bit of an extra love as well too, because I know that they're possibly going to make a big deal happen as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if Fernando Tatis gets traded.
1: I think that Verlander ends up going back to Houston. That's just what my gut tells me. But you mentioned Aaron Judge. Another Central Valley guy. Props to the Central Valley folks, to the peeps that are from this region. Always love seeing them succeed at the highest levels. I think that the Giants are going to make a serious push to get Aaron Judge. The real question is, for legacy purposes, you know, if you start as a Yankee, continue as a Yankee, retire as a Yankee, you're a legend forever. You're a part of the lore of the Yankee mystique. It's probably the only team, maybe in all of professional sports, where that might be so important that you finish your career with the pinstripes because the yankees are let's face it they're they're the most legendary team in all of professional sports in the united states and i'm saying that as a yankee hater and as a red sox fan but i can admit when i see something i could call it what it is so I'm kind of torn. I'd love to see him with the Giants and and, uh, playing for a Bay Area team. But at the same time, I totally understand if he stays with the Yankees, it'll be interesting to see who ponies up the money, who opens up their pocketbook, who is a serious contender. A lot of times it's about blocking another team, right? So the Giants, to make sure the Dodgers don't get him or vice versa, it'll be very interesting. And in terms of Tatis, You know, that might be another one of those situations as well. Um, I think that the Padres need to get something out of that investment. They developed this kid. He's been, you know, MVP candidate with this ball club. I think the Padres need to wait it out and see what they get out of him. Uh, Really quick thoughts. Do you think that anybody... And the American League can supplant Judge for this year's MVP award in the American League. I think anybody would really just mean Shohei Atani. Who do you think wins between Shohei and Judge?
2: It's a no doubt about it. It's going to be Aaron Judge. He broke a record that was 60 years old. So it's like, (laughs) you you know, they're going to give it to him at the end of the day. And he's a Yankee as well, too. And there's no worry. There's no problem with that. And uh, Shohei Otani is going to be the hottest name at the winter meetings as well, too. From what I'm hearing right now is is that the Angels are thinking about moving on or going ahead and cashing out that situation to get themselves some some more high, some high end players for the future because they know that they're probably getting Shohei at his absolute best. And why not, you know, cash in on that if you're going to be wasting his time? You know what I mean? Because that's what the Angels are typically doing. But I think that the year Otani was last year because he was doing amazing things. But you just can't take this away from Aaron Judge. That team made the playoffs as well, too. And, you know, it was an exciting moment. So, you know, there's no way that they're not going to have him still be the MVP this year.
1: On to the National League Awards MVP, of course. We're talking about Arenado Goldschmidt. Manny Machado, you know, it's funny to me when I hear people saying that Goldie and Arenado will offset each other because they play for the Cardinals. I never really understood that. Why would anybody offset anybody? You know, you're basically looking at a stat line and figuring out who is deserving of the MVP, who is more valuable. Who do you, if you took them out of the equation, which team would suffer the most I think for me, it's a pretty obvious answer, which is Manny Machado, because the uh, Padres underachieved hitting-wise all season long. He was the only one consistent force from beginning to end, and I don't think the Padres would have even made the playoffs if they didn't have Manny Machado. That's my take on it. So I give him the MVP. What say you?
2: Um, uh, I didn't know Manny Machado was getting considered for the MVP this year, but, you know... Um, yeah, possibly so. But I would say this. Like, why haven't we mentioned Trey Turner, who was absolutely, like, just destroying the ball this year, not in a home run sense, but he got on base a lot. And I thought Trey Turner was a, a good candidate for uh, the MVP award as well, two leading the league and hits and everything like that. And, you know, you got Aaron Rondo, it, it, uh, you got Noah, Nolan, and you got Goldschmidt. So, uh-huh. You know, it's that to me. It's a tough call. That that's one that you really don't think about. You might get a little surprised on who they really select for it. But if I was gonna take anybody, it'd be Goldschmidt because Goldschmidt was very, very. He didn't have the 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 box office name that you talk about every single night, but he was good and he was really good for a team that had to be in a tough race all throughout the year as well, too. So I'll give them that. I think Manny Machado, his thing is more about the way that he was able to become a leader this year. So I know a lot of people probably are looking at him to be an MVP uh, candidate and things like that. But I still think he's one of the more overrated players in baseball as well, too. So
1: just to be clear, uh, folks out there, they, they have already announced that the three finalists are indeed Arenado, Goldschmidt, and Machado. So one of those three will win the award uh, it would be interesting to find out Why the player you mentioned Trey Turner Wasn't one of the three finalists Or uh, Freddie Freeman Why wasn't he one of the three finalists you know, I think there's five guys that all could have been MVP candidates right
2: Right they just looking at they didn't hit enough home runs That's all that is
1: Yeah I mean I, I think also Where maybe that quote unquote offsetting Language comes into play Is perhaps when they look at the Dodgers and they say, well, you have Mookie Betts and you got Freeman and you got Turner. Of course, you're going to drive in runs. They're a part of an offensive machine. So maybe that's where they discounted those guys a little bit more. The other guy that could have been in consideration was Austin Riley from the Braves. But I think that he had a period of time where he kind of fell off the cliff cliff a little bit and had too long of a slump. Even though his final numbers looked really good, there was that period of time there where he kind of fell off a cliff for a short period of time, and I think it was just enough to put him outside of those top three. So it'll be interesting to see who wins those awards. One of the things I love about baseball is there are so many things that keep baseball in the news in the off season, and it starts off by how they lay out the awards I don't think any other sport has as much intrigue for off-season awards and MVPs and Cy Youngs and that type of stuff as baseball. So props to them. They do a great job with that. You mentioned the winter meetings. You know, that'll take us basically on through the holidays, on through Christmas and the years. And then... January, we start hearing about some of the more free agent signings. In February, middle of the month, you he have pitchers and catchers reporting again. So it's a pretty cool cycle for baseball. I really enjoy it, and uh, it creates a lot of anticipation and excitement going into the following year. Do you have any thoughts really quickly on the Cy Young Awards? I, I don't have a strong opinion on it as much as I had a solidified opinion with Machado and Aaron Judge in the MVP candidates.
2: Well, um, I would say probably if you would say Cy Young, I know that Gosling's going to get some uh, love, you know. And how he, about your man, Urias? Uh, Urias, I, I, I wanted to give Urias the Cy Young last year when he won 20 games. You
1: sure but, did. I remember that.
2: Yeah, but they, they overlooked that fact and they didn't do that. So. You know, Urias would be perfect. You know, I would think that it would be a Dodgers because the Dodgers had the best ERA in baseball. And regardless of losing to the Padres, they didn't give they didn't have a moment where the Padres scored a, a heavy amount of runs on them. What happened was is that they just couldn't score. Well, and- not
1: just that pop, but they also they seal the envelope and send in the uh the voting before the playoffs even start. So right. they're supposed to drop that in the mail on the last after the last day of the MLB season has concluded. So so the playoffs won't even factor in. And like you said, the Dodgers have dominant pitching staff this year.
2: Right. So, you know, I was I would think that, that it, even with that, it wouldn't matter what happened to the Dodgers after the fact that they had the best pitchers in baseball. So one of them needs to get to Cy Young.
1: Well, I think Sandy Alcantara might have something to say about that down in Miami. We'll oh. see about that. We got to take a quick commercial timeout, Pop. When we come back on the other side, we'll be talking a lot of football. Stay with us, everyone. We will be right
3: back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice
0: This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome
1: back, everyone. Little barbershop talk here. And just like Papa and I were talking during the commercial break, this show ain't about yelling and screaming and, and antics and, and and large personalities like Stephen A. Smith or anything like that. We're trying to bring you into our shop as we're getting a little haircut talking sports. That's what it's all about, folks. And with that said, we are going to talk a little college football. But before we do... Just a really quick thought or two from you about the Breeders Cup World Championships. We both love horse racing. It doesn't get a lot of pub in terms of you know national publicity, unless it's a Kentucky Derby and somewhat for the Breeders Cup. But just quick thoughts. You know, how did you do personally if you played any bucks? Um, and what are your thoughts just about the two-day event as a whole?
2: Oh, well, as usual, I got took to the woodshed. we Breeders Cup. <laughs> That's why it's like Breeders Cup. I'm already ready for the losses, dude. Seriously, and I only think I only think I had a winner except for Flightline. I can't even brag about Flightline as the winner. That's just like when I had the American Pharaoh triple. I got the American Pharoah triple crown ticket sitting here in my safe, but literally it doesn't matter because the ink then worn off of it anyway. So it's like that's what type of moment that was for me. Like Flightline was absolutely incredible in, in their and the way that they went about their business. But it was really tough for me, Mike, you're going to be mad at me, but it was really tough for me those two days to really sit down and watch the Breeders' Cup. I had a lot going on and it seemed like it just started so early compared to what I'm used to. And I really felt like Keeneland started super early though. Like literally it was already over at three o'clock. You know what I mean? Like, so I felt that it was a good um, Breeders' Cup. But as I told you when we had um, our guest on the show last week, that this was going to be another formful day because it was at Keeneland. Keeneland's the type of track that really does play to Superior Horses very well. You know what I mean? And it's not like Santa Anita. It's not like Del Mar, where you're going to have these monster upsets and things like that. Not even like Churchill Downs, you know what I mean? You did get a monster upset in the sprint st- turf sprint, but that was expected. There's always a monster upset in that race. But I truly do feel like it was a good weekend that didn't have really any black eyes to it except for what happened to Epicenter. Uh, that was the horse that got hurt in the Classic, right? Yes. Yeah, but he's going to be fine. He can still breed, so they're happy about that. But I think the only thing that I was kind of – you know sketchy about was the the overblown the over so-called of larry comas you know what i mean larry comas said this is secretariat like and i said larry comas you damn near said the same thing about ap when he won and justified when he won and arrogant when he won and i wouldn't say that flight line's the greatest to ever do it like he had six races he's a great he's a really really good horse but I think that nothing can compare to what AP did. Let's not forget AP, never forget American Pharaoh. You know what I mean? That's the horse of the 2000s uh, of of a, of a, of a, a, uh, that's a horse of a lifetime uh, other than secretary. I said, you have to see what horses accomplish as well, too. But Flightline, much power to him because there couldn't be a better group that won that. Aronis Racing and John Sadler, straight up representing for my home track, Santa Anita. My dad's dear friend as well, too. John Sadler, that was huge. So you know that that was that was a big moment. I'm always happy to see John Sadler win.
1: Amen to that. That was good stuff, man. Uh, a quick correction. I want to correct both of us. It wasn't Epicenter, so I apologize to the connections <laughs> for Epicenter. It was domestic spending for Chad Chad Brown's barn. Oh, was, Chad. Pardon me. This is the one that got hurt. Um, but uh, it looks like, God willing, domestic spending will
2: survive the, the injuries sustained. So we'll I see about that. I thought it was an Asmussen horse. Because that, that's who was talking about it as well, too. So he had a horse that got hurt as well
1: so there may be a maybe multiple ho- horses that came out of there with uh, a little bit banged up hey that's part of the game just like any athlete football baseball basketball horses you know they're all athletes and unfortunately they can um uh, get hurt at any point in time but i think the event as a whole was a was a good event from a spectator perspective uh the results from a wagering perspective very chalky a lot of favorites You know tough for the big bettors out there to to make money unless you're really really heavily backing the uh, favorites and i know a lot of people like to play the long shots on a day like this and hope you can connect the dots on a big trifecta or superfecta uh but like you said keeneland kind of favors those uh you know superior horses and uh, it, it it played out like that speaking of superior horses by the way so just a really quick story so uh I have a new friend. Uh, He may be listening to the show. I'm not sure. His name is Arnold. Uh, I won't get into specifics about uh, who he is or how I know him uh, just at this time. yet. maybe uh, down the road. Uh, So Arnold, if you're listening, big hello. One of the things I enjoyed, though, was in the middle of the two day event, we were on the phone for a few minutes and he took me back to the days of Ali Sheba. And uh, that was when that was kind of the peak time when he was a, a fan of the sport. And it was one of those things where I didn't know that he's a horse racing fan. He didn't know that I'm a horse racing fan. I told him that I uh, took my dad to the Breeders' Cup event, and that's how we got started in the conversation. So Ali is one, one of my all-time favorite horses. And I think that's the, the best thing about the Breeders' Cup, about the Kentucky Derby, et cetera, is that it gives you those long-lasting historic moments or horses that will be hailed in the, uh, you know, hailed in the annals of, of history, in in the walls of history, in the Hall of Fame, et cetera. And I think Flightline, even though not worthy of secretariat status by any stretch of the imagination, but I think Flightline, when all is said and done, is an all-time great. It's really unfortunate that he's got to have to uh, leave it all out on the line and move forward with his career as a stud Sure, he'll be happy about that. Sure, he'll be having some good times coming up. The fans ultimately suffer, though, Pop, because I would have loved to have seen him maybe run in the uh, Pegasus at Gulfstream in January and maybe even have a full year campaign, come back to the Classic, see if there's any new shooters, have him defend his title. That's one of the things that we need to see, Pop, in the sport of horse racing is more defending of your title, not just you win and retire. And I don't know if I have an answer to that or a solution to that, because if I'm reading the numbers right, the amount of money that they're getting for Flightline to basically go in the barn and have a little fun, produce some babies, is astronomical. I mean, it would be very hard for anybody to uh, to turn that down or to jeopardize it or to risk it. Um, again, that's part of this, uh, the makeup of this professional sport, unfortunately, you know. The only time I think we're going to see superstars running in
2: their elder age is when you have geldings. You know, I don't see it any other way, Pop. You beat me to it, and they just sent a Lava Man to old France, and I said Lava Man was it was was even more of a legend as a pony. So you know, uh, you know, that's the last horse you can look at that was an absolute rock star. And we would have had another rock star if he didn't pass so early. And that was shared belief. Yes. Yep. Yes, I love Char Belief. And share and I'll just keep it quick here. I'm going to tell you like this, the most breathtaking horse I've ever seen on in a race was Share Belief, no cap, when he beat uh California. I was there the day he won the uh Santa Anita Big Cap and that's like one of the last times I've been at Santa Anita where you knew it was about 30, 40,000 in the in the house. You know what I mean? And we all were at the finish line, nobody went, and everybody stood up. And when he hit that move and got to the front, oh, my, OMG. It was almost like we knew it was a pageantry race, but the way that he ran that day, oh, my, OMG. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah,
1: Shared Belief uh, evokes great memories. It was a fantastic horse, very special horse. And it, it's actually still, to this day, uh, one of the very few topics where you'll see uh, national syndicated radio host Jim Rome get emotional. You know, He was part of the ownership group for Shared Belief, and a tear comes to his eye every time that uh, shared belief is brought up. It was just that special of a horse. Again, like many of these topics, Pop, we could talk about them all day. But for the sake of keeping it moving, for the sake of, keep, sake of keeping things fresh, we need to talk a little college football because we had a little shakeup in the top five teams in the country as it relates to the college football playoff in that we saw Alabama lose by one point uh a very ballsy if i could say that decision by lsu to go in for the kill we saw clemson get their butt whipped by notre dame and then we saw solidified wins for georgia taking care of business against tennessee proving who's the best without any kind of question mark and then ohio state wasn't super impressive but they took her take care of business against northwestern and then Michigan. Is really showing that they are they have staying power that they're going to be there all the way through. Now, we had this question last week. Now, I'm going to pose it again Is Alabama now done with respect to getting into the final four?
2: Mike, didn't I tell you they was going to lose two games earlier this year? And you you sure did crazy. And didn't I tell you that they're not making a CFP this year? Yeah, you called it. The thing is, Alabama ain't got – Bama ain't Bama this year. Bama has a lot of guys that left that were going to be guys that were going to be big time this year. That's either through the draft or through the draft portal. Then they have freshmen that were five-star freshmen that got hurt during the summer. Um, Alabama, I just felt they're still an awesome team. But everybody is keyed up for you you're at that point now to where everybody's figuring out everything on tape and they know exactly how to combat you. And it was like this. They lost last week because Brian Kelly finally had the the horses to beat them. And LSU was taken kind of lightly this year because they lost to Florida State. But Florida State was a team that's on the way back. That's the whole thing. Florida State is on the way back. And I think that that showed in that, that game right there that Florida State's about to return to the aura of Florida State. You know, everybody was waiting on the U to come back and Miami to come back. But, no, Florida State, to me, had a, even had a, had just as dominant of a run as uh, Miami with the same coach. They didn't have a coach run to the NFL. They, what called the Hurricanes had three of them run to the league. So, I look at this and I said to myself, Alabama still got a chance to be here. Cause I could tell you like this, everybody who loses one game, they're automatically out, except for Ohio State and Michigan right now. It possibly can still be a SEC Big Ten uh, affair here in the Final Four, but I truly do think that Alabama is due for it. It's going to sound crazy, Mike, but they might be due for another loss because they're just not healthy this season, you know what I mean? And I just really think that teams have, had, I'm not going to say teams have caught up with them, but it's like when Mike Tyson got knocked out by. Uh, well, it's like when I Mike Tyson got knocked out by, uh, but not Buster Douglas, but by Holyfield. Guys weren't as scared anymore going into fights with with them. You know what I mean? And I felt felt like Georgia was jo- Holyfield last year when they knocked it knocked them around in that national championship and told everybody, you know what? I ain't that. You know what? Uh, I, I think we can. I, I think we can handle these guys. And for as good as Bryce Young is, you know he's he's not a Sunday starter at this moment to me. Too light, too little, and I just think that maybe he overthinks a bit too much as well too. And since when you have a lot of talented players like he does, that, that can be really hidden. But once you start – once the things where you have to really do it on your own that shows up a bit, and he's a, he's a talented, great quarterback, great mind at quarterback, but he's a guy that played with a very high-end, successful number one team in the nation in high school. Then he gets to uh, Alabama, and these guys are literally have 30% of the roster going to the NFL. So how is he going to fail? You know what I mean? But I said, put the guy at UCLA. He would be having the same problems as DTR. Put him at UC, USC, he would have been having the same problems as uh the quarterbacks prior to that. So it's about where you're at. It's not really about you being this superior of a quarterback. Cause as I said before, there is no significant quarterback that I can say is gonna be a game changer on Sundays in this college in this college group for right now or for the foreseeable future.
1: Definitely not. Uh anybody that's worthy of maybe like a high draft choice at the quarterback position, that's always the hardest position to evaluate for NFL teams. And proof of that is they get it wrong more often than not, you know, about 80% of first round quarterbacks end up failing. So the the stats are not in favor of these ball clubs, but good teams, what they do is they build their team with core core, players core linebackers and safeties and cornerbacks and the trenches both on the offensive and defensive side and then they strike when they see the quarterback that they like um but it's it's not a it's no surprise that there are some teams they have a new quarterback it seems like every single year and it doesn't matter if they're drafting one or getting one as a free agent it's an f Right, if you're having to get ten quarterbacks in twelve years, you get an F. It means that you're not evaluating that position the right way. Before we take a commercial break, pop, I want to get your quick thoughts, and I want to share mine on the gambling bills rest in peace that went by the wayside here in California. I just oh. find it ironic to me. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: Oh my bad. We done with so football. Oh.
1: <laughs> well, we could come back to that. I just uh, okay. I wanted to squeeze this in before the commercial break, which is those bail- bills failed. They didn't pass. And I'm not going to get into the merits of the bill necessarily or not. I just find that there's some irony with Californians here because they'll pass a bill where we can uh, use taxpayer money to give heroin to heroin addicts that are homeless on the streets in San Francisco, but yet somebody can't put a $10 parlay from the conference of their home, with the Astros and the over, right. Uh, so there's some hypocrisy and inconsistency there. The other thing too is we got such a big homeless problem, and always it comes down to money. Where do you get the money from? Well, these bills were going to provide a huge revenue source. Much of it was going to be allocated to the homeless. So we're back to square one. We don't have, uh, you know, gambling in California. And we don't have a solution for the homeless and we don't have money to take care of the homeless. So, you know, maybe it was the way that the bills were written. I don't know, but a little bit bummed to see that they didn't come through. Uh, I know that naysayers or detractors will say, well, it could give rise to more homeless because people that are gambling addicts can have problems. Well, I think you could set limits, right? If you want to play the role of big brother, eye in the sky that much put money limits so that people really can't get hurt. But either way, we need to find a solution for this, for the homeless. And that's kind of, I think my main message there. Uh, Any quick thoughts
2: from you pop before we go to the commercial? You're going to be mad at me. I didn't vote for either one of them. I said no to both of them because it's not ready yet. The pay, the, it was just too sketchy the way that things were written up. I'm sorry. The way
1: that they're drafted was, uh, it wasn't good.
2: I, I agree. So they, they wasn't going to give none. Of, they wasn't really going to give that money. They was going to give that money to a program that was going to try to fund the homeless. You know what I mean? And then what was going to happen was, is that I don't want to say names. I don't want to throw things out there, but they just didn't want certain people to have that much power. That's all it is. And the 27 is so on, on the money. You can't be sending money back East, uh, no no offense to fanduel and 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 draftkings but they're both very impulsive and there there would be children running up their parents bank account uh trying to run those websites and everything like that and i think the true california better is still fine with the way that they bet because you can still online bet you just can't online bet with apps that's it
1: well it'll be interesting to see uh the numbers from the east coast how much Uh, Trouble our kids getting into and and those type of things. They've now had it for about, what, four or five years, so we should be able to get some numbers from there. Interesting stuff, though, Pop. Let's take our final commercial timeout. We'll come back, talk some National Football League right after
0: this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today's Hot Topics. Pop, you know the saying,
1: let's end on a positive note. That usually entails that there was a negative note that was followed by a positive note, and that's why you want to end with a positive note. So with that in mind, let's start with the negative and get it out of the way. And you know what I'm talking about, the silver and black, the Raiders team that I got my start with in the world of professional sports before I even got licensed as an agent. And you know the saying, once a Raider, always a Raider. Pop, I know you bleed silver and black through and through. What say you? Raiders status. McDaniel, head coach status. Mark Davis, what's he to do status? Derek Carr, what's his status? Is he to blame? Injuries to blame. Waller, Ramfro. We could go on and on and on. One thing this team is not short of is drama. They always find a way to be a part of the NFL soap opera and drama, just like the Cowboys. I'm going to go ahead and stay quiet for a moment and let you vent.
2: Well, you know, I ain't got much to vent about, you know, because I've been trying to get this writer team a shot, man. I've been optimistic. I'm like, well, two and six, that could be six and two easily, You know, but Derek Carr, is trying his absolute best, bro. If he gets up 17 zip, can the defense give him? A, and the offense can the defense give the offense a little bit of confidence by playing some playing some defense, Mike? Literally, the defense keeps getting excused every week. They talk about Carr, but dude, Carr has been on the team since 2014. The Raiders have never been a top have never even been in the top 15 for the defense. The highest they've ever been was like 22. So you're not giving him any opportunity to really be a great quarterback if you can't get these guys off the field. You know what I mean? And I just felt like it was totally on the defense last Sunday because Carr did enough to – to where they didn't need to score 35 points against the Jaguars. They could have scored 20 points and beat them 20 to 10. But the defense played absolutely pathetic. Pathetic, Mike. And that's why Jonathan Abram got cut this week because all he can do is hit. He can't cover to save his life. And it's always good when you got somebody who can run their mouth, but if they can't back that up, man, it's a waste of everybody's time. But Derek Carr is not exempt. He can be a lot better. Josh McDaniels can be a lot better, too. You know what I mean? But I think Josh McDaniel lost a lot of people in that locker room as well. And you know what? Mark Davis has always been a joke to me. I'm really still sad that he didn't sell the team like he was supposed to when Al died. Because, you know, like I know, Al had people in place to take over the Raiders to bring him back to Los Angeles. Because he had the right people, those were the right people to do all the right smooshing. Then Mark cries to his mother about, Can I have the team? And you know, Al never wanted him to own the team. I know that sounds really messed up saying this on your show, but you know, at inner, inner workings, that Al Davis never wanted his son to own the team because he knew what his son was gonna do to the team. You know what I mean? And it's exactly this, because he's not a football mind like Al Davis was. You know what I mean? He's he, he's a business guy, but he does things in in, in, in kind of a quirky, backward sense. And he's kind of like a joke. You know what I mean? He's a goofball, in a sense. You know what I mean? And I think when he went to Vegas, that was smart uh, smart money. But he needed to really just go ahead and use the Raiders as a way to cash out. And I think that the Raiders need a total new leadership, total new face, total new look, everything. You know, I start with Mark Davis on why there's problems here. You know, he trusted Gruden, which wasn't smart. And Gruden was not like Gruden was banished from the Raiders, just like Charles Woodson was banished from the Raiders. And then you let them back in. These are people that totally dissed the Raiders as well, too. You know what I mean when they when they were shown the door. So I truly do think that the Raiders need a new owner. That's just simple and plain. So then you can stop making decisions with you, so you can stop making decisions because the fans told you that that would be a good decision. Cuz you know he goes to he used to go to Buffalo Wild Wings and actually sit there and listen to fans, you know, opinions on the team. And I said that you're running a team like a fan. You're not running a team like an owner, and that's a problem. And I just think that you know, at the end of the day, the Raiders only can blame themselves. They had a good coach in place that got him to the playoffs. He was a low uh, he was a low maintenance hire. You didn't even have to pay him that much. And you could have kept them there so you could keep the reporter. The Raiders need to keep all those coaches that they had there last year because that was their best bunch of coaches that they had for some time. So the Raiders made a lot of mistakes because Mark Davis is always thinking about splashing for fans. And you got to stop doing that. Because Raider fans are 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 crazy as is anyway. They don't have you, you'll go on a Raider chat board and it's the most illogical thing you'll see in your life. So stop listening to them people, man, and make better decisions. I've been I've been cool off of Mark Davis since he got rid of Reggie McKenzie and Jack Del Rio. Guys that built the team back up, got it salary cap space, got the right players there, and then it just wasn't good enough. You had to have Gruden. Why? Because he's in the booth talking? It just it's just ah, Mike, and I know we, we I just want us to get more time for better nfl news but the raiders they it's just a mess down there i don't care you know the raiders if they get back they get back if they don't they don't it's just another uh Raiders season right
1: well you you pointed out a lot of different things i'd, I'd like to address all of them but there's not enough time to do so so i'll just go with a quick bullet point format you know obviously everybody in the organization can be fired except for one person which is right. the owner mark davis So as much as we would want to fantasize about that, it ain't going to happen. Mark Davis is something that all Raider fans are going to have to deal with. Now, with that said, apparently in private conversations, he's now remorseful for getting rid of Gruden. So could there be a 3.0 version of Gruden? I don't know. I think in 31 NFL teams, the answer would be hell no. But with the Raiders, you never know, right? You never know. I wouldn't be shocked if they brought him back. Josh McDaniel, he wasn't a good head coach with the Broncos over 10 years ago. I don't think he's still still not a good head coach, in my opinion, today. He's not even a great offensive coordinator outside of New England. I think he's a system guy. I think with that system that he understood very well under the leadership of Bill Belichick is where Josh McDaniel fits best. And that's exactly why, by the way, when he was fired, he didn't go back to to another head coaching job right away. He went back to New England. Right. And now there's some flirting with the Colts a few years ago. But where do you go? Back to New England. So I think that's I think that's where he tops out. So now the question is, if he's not your guy, do you make the move now or later? Probably the most important thing that you said was they had their guy. He was on the cheap. He was under the radar. He wasn't a sexy, splashy head coach. But Rich Passaccia, he did a tremendous job. He did something that most Raiders head coaches since the 90s haven't been able to do, which is get his team to the playoffs. And speaking of Rich, we had him as a guest on the show uh, a couple of years ago. I think it might be time to bring him back on. I'd like to get his opinion. What do you think? Let's get his opinion for, you know, if you were there, would things be different? And I think he's one of those guys. He won't be completely diplomatic. He might give us an answer. So I'll make a note to myself to reach out to Coach Rich Pasaccia see if he'll come back talk to us next week or the week after. I'd love to get his take on the status of the Raiders. One last thing that I'm going to say, Pop, about the Raiders is it is definitely not Carr's fault. You know, he's been able to get the team a lead, In each of these games that they've lost, they've given up leads. Look, he's not the play caller. He's not calling the plays. He's just executing on them. And last I looked, he wasn't throwing three, four interceptions and fumbling the ball all over the place. They've changed the way that they execute. They Excuse me. They changed the way that they called plays when they have a lead. A lot of times I'm like, why don't you stick to what you've been successful doing in this game? Why start thinking about, you know, wasting time and burning the clock and all those things. The whole goal is to pick up yards, to put the other team in a situation where they're sitting on their helmets offensively and to leave them as little clock as possible. Yes, but also to give them the worst field position possible. And if you're getting yards, then you're accomplishing potentially both. But at the very least, you're giving the bad field position every time. These comebacks won't happen if you play that type of game rather than get all tense and and choke leads and stuff. Again, he's not playing defense. You know, um, we probably spent way too much time on this topic, but I think it's one that fans like to discuss. A lot of people are haters. A lot of people are lovers for the Raiders and that's just the way it's always going to be. You know, they are the Cowboys. They are the Yankees of the NFL, love it or not. Uh, with that said, let's quickly get to week 10. Let's get to picks in week 10. Are there any picks that you'd like to give out? And, Pop, why don't you quickly tell folks out there, if they want to get your NFL picks, how do they find them?
2: Well, I put out my week 10 winners every week on Twitter, so you guys can just follow me on Twitter, at DBIC. Also, you guys can watch the NFL Bet Exchange every Tuesday at 10 a.m., as well, too, and it's available all week on my YouTube page, on my Facebook, and on my Twitter page as well, too, to where you guys can get all the plays that you want to get. But if you want the exclusive stuff, the stuff that you go and get the big money on and all that stuff, you can become an exclusive client and uh sign up, and we can get you all the way right in that situation where you get my best bets that are only exclusive to the people that pay for them.
1: And as, as listeners know, I'm not a huge you know, uh, gambler-type guy on Twitter or anything like that. Uh, but I will retweet out Pops' uh, links and things of that nature uh, because he's he's the most honest guy in the business. So uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, do you have a pick or two that you really like a lot that you can give out before we close here?
2: Yes, Mike. I'll go ahead and I'll do it. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I do like uh, the Texans this week. Is my dog better the week? I know it sounds crazy right now, but I like the Texans this week. I just I don't know why, Why I just like them this week. And then also, I will go ahead and riddle me this. This is probably going to be the most over. This could be the most overbet spot in football this week, but I do like the Commanders on Monday Night Football, and I also like the Packers in the Cowboys game as well too.
1: Okay. I like two picks. I like the Saints giving up a point and a half in Pittsburgh.
2: Mm-hmm. I think
1: Pittsburgh really is uh, is about next year now and evaluating players. They've got no shot for, for this year whatsoever. The other pick I like a lot is the Lions getting three points in Chicago. I think a lot of people are enamored with the improvement of Justin Fields, and that's deserving. He's done pretty well. But uh, I think that the Lions' division rival, I think they're ripe for uh, a win here. They've gotten close so many times think this is a good opportunity to go up against a team that's their caliber so that is all the time we have pop thank you listeners as always thank you so much without you there's no show we will see everyone same time same place next week enjoy your sports weekend everyone